and we're excited about it because I believe that it's going to be something that will help us as a church to experience some of the shifting I think that's necessary in order for us to be effective in these last days. Say shift. shift. <laughs> you think about shifting and there's downshifting and there's upshifting. There's, there's things that we do in order to go fast for the things that we do in order to slow down. How many of you know that we've got to be aware of the surroundings? You've got to know when to downshift and when to upshift, right? You know, some people think it's all about going fast. I like going fast. There was a question that was asked in, our, um, in, in the married people um, thing that we went, um, retreat, or not retreat, a conference that we went to last night, the seminar, that uh, was said, uh, how many of you are excited when you think about a roller coaster? And, uh, you know, I, I think about that. But, you know what, I'm also thankful that someone designed that roller coaster that when it comes to the sharp angles... That, that they designed that thing to slow down at right places so I don't fly off the end. How many of you know what I'm talking about? But there's a trust that I have that those designers have done that. And there's, there's, an, there's an awareness that we need to have to our surrounding so that we upshift at the right time and we downshift at the right time. And that we listen to what the Spirit is saying. And so that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to help us to understand what the Spirit is saying to the church today. How many of you know that's something that He wanted us to do? He gave us some things that's written in His Word, the things that He wanted us to be able to do. And, and uh, Jesus, throughout all of uh, history and uh, throughout His time, He was speaking to us. God was speaking to us from the very beginning of creation. He says in His Word that He speaks to us through creation, right? How many of you know that? Yeah? His, his, it, I mean, the skies show the bewilderment of, of all of everything. He shows even the love and the passion that He has for us. And then Jesus himself came to earth incarnate, became man, walked among us, began to continue to speak to us, and then he gave us and has given to us his written word and confirmed by his spirit, still speaking to us today. And I'm excited about that. I'm excited that he hasn't left us as orphans. He hasn't left us as people who, who wonder, you know, what's next. So we may not know the exact uh, details of everything that's going to happen, but we do know the end plan, right? What's the end plan? Do you know what the end plan is? The end plan is that we would all be caught up together. Amen? That there we will rule and reign with Him throughout all eternity. That we would experience a place where there would be no more sorrow, there would be no more death, there would be no more pain. Amen? His plans was for the body of Christ, all of us, to, to be exercising the authority and the power and the faith within us so that other people may come to the same type of faith, amen, that they might spend eternity with him in that place that he's prepared for us and, and making for us on a regular basis. So we're going to talk to, today, and, and the title of this message is called Jesus Says. Now, many of you know, and I've shared this testimony a number of times, I grew up in the church. I mean, I literally grew up in the church. <laughs> I mean, I was at the church every time the doors were open, uh, and when they had services that would even go on for multiple weeks at a time, all right? I was there. And we were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and, and then the other times in between, and, and for our Sunday school and, and all those things. And I am so thankful for my heritage. I'm so thankful that and God has given me the ability to, to be raised up in, in a sort of a spiritual bubble. But some people say, well, well, Pastor, you know, not everybody here is like you. There's some of us who, who didn't have that, or even some of us who grew up in that same bubble, but didn't make the same choices that you made. Actually, some people here today may have grown up in the church and actually got used to the way in which church was operating, the way in which church was, was going on. How many of you know what I'm talking about? That you, you can kind of go to church and you can know exactly what's going to happen next. And it's the same thing that might happen time after time. Now, now the gospel is the same, and we really only get, are given this, this limited amount of time in a service to do certain things, and you can expect that we're going to have a time of worship, we're going to have a time of the preaching of the word, we're going to receive the offering, we're going to pray at some point in time, there's going to be an altar call, those elements of the service, you can expect that's going to be there. And then there's other things that are, that are kind of unique to us as Pentecostals. We expect for the, the Spirit of God to show up, and, and, and He comes with us, right? But we also expect for the gifts of the Spirit to be in operation, as He determines is useful for the building up of the body, right? And, and, and in doing that, though, there's been some things probably throughout the years that some people who have grown up in church have became a little stale to. How many of you know that something sits out on the counter too long and gets a little dried out? 
And, and, and because of that, the uniqueness of your spiritual heritage for a number of people that have been in, that are in this place now or not even of us now has got to the place to where they're just like, you know what, that's old hat for me. I mean, I want something fresh. I want something new. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, all right? But, but, but there's some who are looking for that next even move of God, looking for that next touch, and searching for something that is outside of the ordinary. They're looking for an extraordinary experience. And, you know, and, and, and because so many things have been the same for so long, in a, in, a, in a Pentecostal church, there's, we would even at, at different times, we'd become so, so regular that we could sing a certain amount of songs. They'd be, you know, two, two fast songs, two slow songs, and, and then a, a message in, in tongues and an interpretation or something. And, and we could know who was going to give it, and we could even many times know what the Lord is going to say. Now, now, that could be because we're not listening. And the Lord has to say the same, same, same thing over again. Or could it be because what's really within someone's heart about what message they want to give to other people, right? <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, is that some people become cynical. You know what that is, right? Become almost expecting and, and doubters of a move of God for them today. And they become stale. And, and because they become stale, rather than being an encourager to other people to want to be followers of him, they've actually unintentionally created an atmosphere, an environment around them that just sometimes just sits back and puts it on cruise control and says, all right, God, if you're really God, then go ahead and do something. And gives him a parameter, gives him a little bit of a room within their life to prove himself just one more time. But, but behind it all is this... this uh, this shroud of doubt and wondering whether or not everything that you've ever been taught from a young person is actually truth or not. How many of you can raise your hand and be truthful here today and say, you know, at some point in my Christian walk, I have doubted some of the things that was shared with me from, from a young age. Come on, raise your hand right now. You've doubted it, all right? That means that you are healthy, believe it or not. <laughs> Because you shouldn't believe everything that you hear from everybody, all right? There's a lot of kooks out there. Now, I, I, I guess some might say, yeah, and even you, Pastor. <laughs> Bunch of goofy people out there who's trying to help to shape your life and, and trying to convince you of certain things. How many ever played this, uh, a game called Simon Says? Yeah. Anybody really good at it? Raise your hand. Are you really good at Simon Says? Well, guess what? Everyone stand to your feet right now. I didn't say we were playing yet. I was wondering how many you're going to get that. Simon says, everybody stand to your feet right now. Come on. Everyone stand up for a moment. There you go. Everybody, there we go. Stand to your feet. I'm not going to make you do a bunch of up and down. But everybody, Simon says, all right, everyone stand to your feet if you can. And here's the deal. We're going to play this game for a moment, okay? We're going to say, we're going to make it spirits, Okay. Because Simon, I don't know who Simon is, all right? But anyway, Jesus says, all right? We'll put there, Jesus says on this. Jesus says, all right, raise your right hand. Raise your left hand. Oh, okay. <laughs> who did that? Go ahead and have a seat. <laughs> if, you, if you raise your left hand, have a seat, all right? All right, G Jesus says, raise your left hand. Jesus says, put your right hand on your head. Put your left hand on your head. Uh, oh, okay, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> All right, so we got our right hand in our head and we got our left hand raised, right? All right? Jesus says, put your right hand down. Put your right hand up. Put your right hand down. Oh, sit on down. Sit on down. So some of you, you're just not very good at this at all, all right? I'm, not, I'm just saying, all right? All right, I, I, Jesus says, put both hands up. Jesus says, put, touch your uh, neighbor's shoulder. Somewhere, okay. All right, take it off now. Oh, it's... It was so simple, all right? Jesus says, put your hands down. Jesus says, put your hands up. Put your hands down. Oh. <laughs> Some of you are pretty good. We're a little bit over half here right now, all right? So all right, look at this now. Everybody with your hands up, all right? Jesus says, raise your hands, all right? Jesus says, put your hands down. Jesus says, put your hands up. Put your hands down. Put your hands up. Jesus says, put your hands down. Jesus says, put your hands up. Put your hands down. 
All right, you may be seated. All right, I'm, all right, give yourselves a hand, all right? The goal of that was not to make a winner, all right? But it was to help us to understand how difficult it is, even when Jesus says to do something, that it gets a little bit challenging. I mean, Jesus obviously says to us to pray, does he not? Jesus says to us to, you know, read the Bible. Jesus says, you know, get to know me. Jesus says, you know, don't look that way. Don't go over there. Don't speak this. Don't speak. For many people growing up in the church, that's really the basis of their relationship or their idea of what Christianity is about. As long as I do what Jesus says, I'm in the game. But if I don't want to do what Jesus says, I'm out. How many of you said I spent a little bit of time more out than I spent in? <laughs> yeah, come on, you're being truthful, all right? I spent a little bit, I mean, it just seems so difficult. And frankly, when I look at the people who were out, they look like at times like they're having a little bit more fun than what I'm having trying to be in. They look like they're having a little bit more freedom, a little bit more joy. There's, there's some things going on in their lives, you know, I, you kind of start to covet Certain things that the world has that maybe you don't have. Some restrictions that are going on in your life. And you're just like, wow, Lord, I'm just not really sure if I want this pressure to continue to stay in. And, you know, and then, and then you know, in this Jesus says mentality of Christianity, we, we reckon and we, we think about it all the time about, well, this person's really good at it. I mean, look, at pastor says he's been living for the Lord ever since he's been four years of age. I mean, who can live up to that? And the pastor's not perfect. My wife will tell you, right? <laughs> My kids will tell you. My staff will tell you. There's, there's, certain, there's things, you know, there, there's things that still come up. The enemy wants to make you feel like, you know what, you're more out than you're in, and really is it worth it to be actually in and try being in the game at all? It's very easy when you live your Christianity out with a Jesus says mentality that as long as you do what he says, you're in, but the moment you mess up, you're out, to experience the relation type of, of relation that he wants to have with you, that he wants to have a, a relationship-based Christianity. It isn't about just a list of do's and don'ts. The driving force behind the Christian faith is not just a list of regulations, but rather a relationship with a living, say living, a living Savior. He's not dead. He is alive and well. He is working. I mean, I know there's other books out there that talk about the kingdom of darkness or Satan is alive and well, but, and, and when we get that, but Jesus is alive and well. Say amen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm grateful that Jesus is alive and well. And, and, and the tragedy is, though, is that we're supposed to be inviting other people to be on Jesus' team and, and we get so discouraged because we can't do it right and we look at them who's really bad and we say, certainly if I can't do it right, how can I expect for them to do it right? And we begin to lose hope. We begin to gather in our little convents mentalities. And we think about gathering up to a mountaintop somewhere. And if we can just sing songs until Jesus comes. If we can just have prayer meetings until Jesus comes. If we can just kind of hold everything that we got and we lose our outward focus. Possibly because we have formulated an idea about our relationship with Christ is really about Jesus says rather than about having a relationship with Him. And that's a subject matter that we're talking about here in this the subject matter of follow. The tragedy is when we lose sight of the relational nature of Christianity, we begin to pursue this list of things of the do's and the don'ts. Now, I'm not suggesting that for a moment that we should not have some do's that we should be doing. The Apostle Paul talked about the struggle that he has in Romans chapter 7. He, it wasn't like there wasn't some things that you should be doing, but the things that he should be doing he wasn't able to do, and the things he didn't want to do he was doing, and he was really frustrated. He even said, what a wretched man I am. And he grew frustrated. But he also said in Romans chapter 8, he says, but thanks be to Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. And you know, there's a lot of people who don't get that. 
They don't understand that. They, they actually feel like that's, that's not even a, a message that makes sense. And, and because of that, when they're not doing too well, they lose their joy. They lose their victory over temptation. They lose their balance in life. I mean, if we were all perfect, we wouldn't need Jesus, right? But the fact of the matter is that none of us are. You know, one of the most frustrating things to many young people growing up is when parents will pull this line on them and, and they ask to do something or go somewhere or be part of something and, and the answer is no. And then the parent says this. What do they say? Why? Because what? Because I said so. Now, how many of you know, you kind of get that. How many of you know you've been in an authority position before where you're just like, yeah, that makes sense to me because I said so. Raise your hand if you felt pretty good about being able to say that at different times. You were an employer or something like that. You were, you were in charge. And, you know what? Because I said so, this is why. But you know what? It creates a, an, an atmosphere and an environment. Well, and, and I'm not saying that that shouldn't be right, but, but the motive behind that, you might be missing out on an explanation. I'll get it out right that can make an exclamation point in the life of your kids as you try to raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Because I said so, well, God even has that there at certain points in time. He's God. He can tell us to do whatever He wants us to do, and we should go ahead and do it. But even so, He shows us the consequences of choosing the wrong things. Sometimes... People are so caught up playing Jesus says that they just get worn out. Can you think in your short life, and I say that to anybody that's here, whether you're 15 years old or whether you're 90 years old, it still is a short life in comparison to eternity. Can you say that you've seen people who are worn out trying to play Jesus says? And they, some of them, tragically have walked away. We have sitting in this room right now parents whose children grew up and became young adults and are not serving Lord. The church historically has this huge exodus that's happening in the churches across the nation of young people who are growing up in their churches and then forsaking their faith. Maybe not forever, but for a period of time. And we wonder why. We wonder why. Have, have we helped in that process to eliminate it or are we escalating it through some of the things that we're doing? I would suggest to you that Jesus came to lay the groundwork for a new kind of relationship with God. A new kind of relationship. One that wasn't just based upon the law. One that wasn't, because if you don't obey, I'm going to strike you dead. But one that says, listen, you need me to intervene for you. You need me to make a difference in your life. And, and he, he came to change this, this, this spiritual dynamic or a paradigm shift, basically in the way that things were, to make something new. And he gave us several word pictures to help us think differently or, or correctly about spiritual reality. And we see it in some of the stories and the accounts that he told and the, the parables that he used. And in the father-child rela uh, relationship, we see how he's trying to communicate how he, we relate to him as a son or as a daughter to a father, a loving father. He says, that's the picture that I want you to have of what a type of relationship should be with me. Or the vine and the branch. How we think about Him. That as long as we are staying connected to Him, that therefore we can stay alive and we, we can be fruit-bearing. Our spiritual reality is, 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 can be seen in this picture of, of one between a shepherd and sheep, how we approach Him. It says that, that the sheep know His voice. And because you know His voice, you come to Him without fear. You come to Him without these, the, 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 this anxiety. These are the proper spiritual realities in the way in which, in which God wants to communicate to us. But rather than us doing that, we find ourselves concentrating upon all the things that we don't do right. And what a mess we are. And oh, by the way, trying to live the way in which I'm supposed to isn't much fun anyway. Why isn't it much fun? Well, 
I, I, I don't know what it is, and I'm not sure exactly where it happened in my life, but part of the success, I believe, of, of, of my life and having the joy of wanting to live for the Lord for some 46 years that I can count back, and I say at age four, was because I had people around me who made living for God look like it is a joy. It wasn't a chore. When Dad got up in the morning and he put on Jimmy Swaggart, put on the hi-fi, big record spinning around there, and, and every Sunday morning, and then, you know, it, it wasn't just then that, that that was happening. That's when Dad was there because he was working a, a lot of the time, and that particular time in my life growing up, all right? And, and, and we were singing, and we were, we were gathering together as a family on a regular basis, but it was all throughout the week. It was having those Christian grandparents and Christian aunts and uncles and even cousins and, and growing up and doing things together and being part of the church. This whole idea, this, this 4G ministry about us gathering together, there's something about that. It's in the Word of God, but it has, I can personally testify to you that gathering together has been a key component to me desiring to live for God all the days of my life. You see, Jesus, though, wants us to connect with him. And there's a word picture that we're going to concentrate upon, and we've already kind of let the cat out of the bag with that, and that, that just shows from the very outside of his ministry, the very beginning, what it is that he was going to put an emphasis on. And we find it in Matthew chapter 9, uh, in, in, in verse number 9, and here is what it says. It says that Jesus invites Matthew to follow him. Now, let's read it in the text, all right? Matthew 9, 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me. Say, follow me. Follow me. <laughs> he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. Now, you need to understand something here. A Jewish tax collector were the undisputed scum of the earth in that time. You might say, well, well, why were they? Some of you may not know this historical perspective, all right? They were referred to as the publicans. The Romans who were control over the Jewish nation at this particular time, imposed income tax as well as land taxes on the Jews. I mean, we, we think that we're taxed a whole lot today. Listen to all the ways in which they were taxed back then. There was a property tax was 10% of their grain, 20% of their wine and fruit. Beyond that, there were tolls for bridges, tolls for roads, for gates, for boundaries between districts, for imports and export taxes. There were harbor taxes, town taxes, and etc. There was all kinds of taxes. And the, the fact of the matter is, is that the, the Romans had set up this means by which they would sell their rights for someone to be a tax collector who can then hire other people to be tax collectors for them who would then add surcharges onto their services to go ahead and get the taxes. And so you had these, this Roman rule set up whereby they had to be taxed, but then these Jewish people who were just trying to make a buck would cheat, would overcharge on those same taxes for their, in all reality, their family members. their nation. And because of that, these people were hated. They, 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 these tax collectors were sold the rights for like about five years at a time and, and then they would resell the rights and over and over again. And, and this was the man. This was the man that Jesus says he saw a man named Matthew. Now, what's really awesome here is that Matthew is writing a book, what? About his own experience, his own encounter. This is pretty cool here, right? Because he's, he, Matthew's saying, this was me. He's speaking about me, but he saw this man sitting at the tax collector's booth. He said, follow me, and, oh, by the way, I got up and followed him. What would take place in Matthew's mind and in his heart that would cause for him to want to start following him and not to turn back, as we sang about here this morning? These licensed robbers, these individuals who were tax collectors, were put in a category there was tax collectors and there were sinners. That's what the Word of God says. They were, they were despised. They were excluded from all religious life, which was a very important part of the Jewish state. And there he is, sitting there, 
And he just looks at him and says, follow me. Now I want you to think for a moment what was going through the minds of Peter, John, and Andrew, and, and uh, James. We think it's going through their minds. This is the guy who just demanded that we pay him something. This is the guy who just, you know, put a surcharge on him. He's the one who was stealing. And look what he's doing to the rest of our family members. And you invite him to follow us? Do you know who this man is? And he says, you know, he's, what, would, what are they thinking? What, what are you, he's thinking, what are you thinking, Jesus? How could you invite him? I want you to notice what Jesus didn't say to him when he walked up to him. He didn't say, how could you? He didn't say, you should be ashamed of yourself. He didn't say, in a sarcastic way, oh, your mother would be real proud of you, wouldn't she? He didn't say, you call yourself a son of Abraham. No, instead, he says what? What's he say? Follow me. To the despised, hated tax collector. Without any prerequisites. Now, Jesus was considered to be a rabbi or a teacher at that point in time. And, and this invitation is what it was, was significant because Matthew now was being invited to the gang of Jesus. He was a candidate to become a part of his inner circle. Hold on here. He was gathering people together to help with the mission. And Matthew said, yes. And he got up and he followed him. Now, there were some things that he couldn't do at this particular time. He wouldn't do at this particular time because of, of where he's at. But, but to get up out of his chair, to begin to follow Jesus, that's something that he could do. That's a baby step. That's, we'll talk more about that next week. But it's, it's the part that he could start to do. I can follow. And because of that, his life was changed forever. Jesus didn't make it conditional. He didn't say, you can follow me if you eventually stop doing this. He didn't say, you can follow me and you must start to do this. Fill it in with whatever you want. He didn't say that if you're going to follow me, you must be willing to die for me. And we know in Matthew 16, he does say that to us eventually. Note the word there, follow but, but right here at this particular point, he invited him. And that's what he was doing throughout all of his ministry. If you take everything out of your previous experience or your knowledge about, about church and the way we do it, and someone was only to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, and you would see Jesus' life, here is what you would see as a constant characteristic of Jesus, is that he was going to the people who were the down and outers. He was reaching out to people who didn't deserve his mercy, didn't deserve his grace, and was saying, hey, why don't you come and join me? Why don't you come and find a place? And, and oh, by the way, I'm going to invite myself over to your house today. That was what Jesus was doing. That was the idea of his ministry. And that's what you would get. And it's not that the rest of the, 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 the Bible is wrong, but it's where we put our emphasis on beginning relationships that sometimes disqualify us and disqualify other people from becoming followers of him. The Christian life is all about a life of following Christ. No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, no matter how physically uh, able you are, no matter what level you are in maturity, it doesn't matter any of those things. Everybody, say everybody, can become a follower of God. The issue is not what you know or how long you've been a Christian or whether or not you attend church. The, qu the question is this, will you follow me? And if the answer is yes, then no matter how bad you are, guess what? You get to become a follower. Now that is a paradigm shift. That is a thought that kind of strains us a little bit. Because if you're like me, we've got these ideas in our mind like, well, if they're a follower and I'm a follower and they're living this way and I'm supposed to be living this way and I've done my best throughout all these years to live the way that Jesus says, but they're not and they get to be part of the Jesus gang. And here's what I've said to other people. Isn't that going to be confusing to people? If they're part of it, if, if I call them a follower and, and I'm a follower, 
And that's exactly where the Pharisees were. You see, it didn't sit well with the religious community, as it hasn't sat well with me at different times, and the concerns, and rightful concerns that we should have. But what they were concerned about, okay, is, is that they, sat, they, they felt like this was getting the cart before the horse. How many of you heard that saying before? It's like, how can you ask them to become followers when they haven't yet done this? Hmm. Let's see here. What he says. See, Matthew chapter 9, verse 10 and 13. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Immediately after he asked him to follow, Matthew gets up and becomes a follower, and then they find themselves over at Matthew's house, and guess what? They're eating. And Matthew does what's natural, because, you know, who else is going to be able to come, you know, to this party? Who's going to come and be part of this dinner? Because nobody wants anything to do with him. But he's got his sinner friends. He's got his tax collectors, right? And they came and ate, and, and it didn't concern Jesus at all. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Oh, and I'm sure they asked. They, they had a snarl on their face. They, just, they were wanting to gnash their teeth. Why? It just is driving them crazy. And on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Now, the Bible doesn't say that he went into a private place and had this conversation. Here sits Matthew, listening to this conversation, and he says, time out here. Are you talking about me? Are you talking about me right now being sick? Oh, yeah, I am. Come on, Matthew, you're a tax collector. Oh, yeah, you're right. I am, ain't I? <laughs> it gives a high five. Come on, you know the people. Like, when you speak the truth, there's so many people who know exactly where they're at. But you don't have to say things in a condescending way. It doesn't have to be said in a way that says, I'm way up here and you're way down here. Listen, it is so healthy for people to realize their current condition. And it's so healthy for us to realize it also. And what do sick people need? They need a doctor. Doctors in the house. Doctors in the land. And he says, and he says to those people, you just don't get it. These, tell these religious leaders. He says, oh, by the way, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Where does he pull that from? Because that's a quote from Hosea chapter 6. And he says, and it's in the part where, where, where God is working to call Israel back. And, and he is using an analogy. He's using an example of Hosea marrying this, this, this unclean woman who's with all kinds of other people. And he wants to put her away, and, and God says, go ahead and take her back. God says, as Israel has prostituted themselves in their relationship with me, and they have sold themselves for other favors, guess what? I've taken them back and I want you to take them back. I desire you to show mercy. Not sorry. Don't count up. Don't give a list to me of all the things that you have done throughout the years. Because it don't mean squat. Actually, there's another place in the Old Testament that says that your righteousness is like filthy rags. And so when you think that you can start to add it all up, the only thing you're doing is making a bigger divide between those people to whom I want you to show that while they were still yet sinners, I came to die for them. <laughs> he insults them, those religious leaders, those Pharisees. He says, you should know this. He says, don't you know this? Don't you, you, you should already know what's going on here, that this is why I'm here. I love this part. The church right now, is the body of Christ. And we are as close as anyone will get to being with Jesus in this life. As people are having relationship with you, are they sensing the character, the attributes, the loving, non the, the not condescending type of actions towards them? Or are they, are, are they experiencing the love of God? How is it? that you are showing people that you are the church today. Here today, believers are gathered. And, and, and you come here today because you, many of you have been coming for years and it's just what we do on Sundays. 
But hopefully you understand that what we do on Sundays is to gather together to celebrate the freedom that he's given to us in him. So we can go out and proclaim salvation message for everybody. Say everybody. Everybody to become a follower of God no matter where they're at, no matter how many times they've rejected him, no matter how many times they've said no, no matter how dead they are, guess what? We've got to believe that there is hope for them. If they could just walk alongside of us and be followers also. There ought to be an excitement within us when we see people whom, whom have been tripped up by somebody else in the church in the past and, and have, have caused for them to, and they've been judgmental towards them. Oh, listen, I know there's a right way to do things and there's a wrong way. I'm not, I'm not, we're not watering down for a moment the whole, the, the whole level or uh, standard of holiness. Not doing that at all. But where we implement and where we put into place those requirements are ever so important. And the Bible says that, you know, we ought to let Him take care of those things. The problem was is that there was a common agreement between Jesus and the Pharisees outside. They were on the same page theologically, but they weren't on the same page when it comes to relationship. They, they had a rallying point of belief and behavior, but they weren't on mission. If you remember our very first life group, our very first spiritual emphasis thing, the name of it, the title of it was called Life on Mission because that's what we're supposed to be. The life groups that we're encouraging for everybody here tonight to, to be part of tonight is, is, is because we want you to be on mission. We want you to, to, to gather together, to sit in, in a circle and to be able to break bread together, be able to laugh together, to be able to, to, to talk about the word and the application of it in your life and be able to pray with one another and be able to invite other people in. It's something that we can't do with just me, me speaking to you or in a, in a, in a service where we just we sing songs. And, and songs are great because we sense His presence. But there's so much more. Say, there's so much more. There's so much more than Jesus says. There's so much more than feeling being left out. You see, the Pharisees, they wanted an outward change before they would offer public association. The Pharisees said, change and you can join us. Jesus said, join us and you will change. I love that. There's a story told by Frederick Buchner, and it's called The Happy Hypocrite. And it's a story about a man who was born with an awful facial deformity. And he grew up alone and lonely. And when he reached adulthood, he decided he was going to move out of his hometown and go to another place. Begin a new way of life. And on his way, he discovered a beautiful mask that when he put it upon his face, it made him look awesome. He was handsome. He was beautiful to some even. And, and it, the mask at first was uncomfortable. And he was afraid that people would really find out one day what he really was. And, but he said, you know what, I'm going to give this a shot. And he continued to wear the mask every day. And in his new hometown, he made many friends. And he fell in love with one. And he actually proposed and was, 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 had a fiancé and was ready, was ready to get married when, when all of a sudden someone from his old town showed up in the town where he was at, discovered who he was, and wanted to expose him as a fraud and set up an occasion whereby he would have to take off and remove his mask in front of his fiancé, in front of his friends, in front of the town, to which there was much horror. And he began to peel the mask away. And to his surprise and the surprise of the person who thought they were going to catch him in something, they saw something completely different than what they were expecting. For the shape of the mask that was handsome and beautiful had shaped and formed the face of the man into the same beautiful thing all over again. Some people feel like putting on a mask, putting on Christ... It's something that makes you a fake or makes you a hypocrite. But when you follow Christ enough, when you're in His presence enough, when you get close enough to Him, and you're with other people who are trying to do the same thing, and you're all encouraging one another to do the same, something begins to take place. A change begins to happen. A change begins to happen. 
Listen, we want change here. And, and it's why on March 5th, we're going to begin in the very first uh, week of March with our growth track. And we have a, a goal and a vision for everybody in this church to, to go through this with us. And so an hour before service, if, if you're not in a, in a class already, we're going to invite you to come to that. It's going to be four weeks in a row we're going to ask everybody in this church no matter how long you've been here, no matter how mature you are in the Lord, to go with us in this growth process. And it's going to be some old information for some of you. It's going to be some basic information, but it's going to be information I hope that will make you thrilled about what we're going to be sharing with everybody who would be new among us. And it's going to help us to identify our gifts. It's going to help us to identify our personalities. It's going to help us to plug ourselves into how we can serve the best way in which we can serve one another so we can gather, grow, and go to reach all generations. Starts on March 5th, before service, after service, on Wednesdays, and probably on another day. That, that, we'll roll out those times for you. But a growth track, real quickly, four things we learn about Jesus' invitation to follow. First of all, being a sinner does not disqualify you. <laughs> How many are you thankful for that? You know, you see, he only invites sinners to follow him. He invited them before they got better or even committed to do so. He invites people who know they are not what they ought to be to come and follow him. He invites people who know something's wrong but aren't sure what to do about it. It never changes. No matter what's going on, Jesus has always been inviting sinners. Say sinners. sinners. It's hard. And I, I actually struggle with it at times because, you know, I, I, when people, some people put much emphasis and such upon the state that they, that, that they are in without actually seeing themselves as redeemed or sinners saved by grace. As at some point in time, I, I like to quit thinking of myself as a sinner, and there's other times I want to think of myself as a sinner. How many of you know that, that tug of war that happens within you from time to time? You're like, no, I want to see myself as not sin not having a hold on me anymore, but when it comes to receiving mercy and needing mercy, guess what? I realize that's who he gives mercy to, is the sinners. He made this invitation. The second thing you need to understand, it's in your notes there, being an unbeliever doesn't disqualify you. He was constantly getting on to the disciples about being unbelievers or about their unbelief. None of his earliest followers actually believed the way in which they needed to believe for salvation. They were surprised when he came back from the dead. Does that make them a believer or an unbeliever? Before the resurrection... Most of them didn't believe. There were some who had these little, these little hints, these little ideas of it. Remember what he said? They were recalling his words. I love the Acts uh, video, the series that we, we, we watched and we, we spoke about together and how you could see it one by one and how the enthusiasm started to happen within other people. Isn't that what we want to happen with individuals that we come across their paths? Most of them had nicknames. Doubting Thomas, you know about him, right? You know, the good news is that if you have a hard time believing, it doesn't disqualify you from being a follower. Now, we might have to change our understanding of what a follower is, but isn't it better to understand that anybody, both sinners and those who are not believers, can become followers just like Matthew did, and that somehow, some way, God can help those people to become everything that they need to be to change a generation? Third thing is this. The invitation to follow is an invitation to relationship. <laughs> it's not an invitation to rules. It's not an invitation to, to, to the, the don'ts, the do's and the don'ts. It's an invitation so that by, if you spend some time with me, if you follow after me, if, you, if you're with me like other people within the body of Christ are following after me, that throughout the struggles, throughout the challenges that they're experiencing, that you can Spur one another on, as the Word of God says, to become everything that you should be. You see, exposure to the person of Christ is what initiates the change. It's what makes it possible. Jesus' initial request was, he said, follow me, all right? Follow me, and he was basically saying, you will believe eventually. Follow me, and you will change eventually. Follow me, and you will begin to see yourself and the world differently. How many of you know that we need to have an emphasis upon making followers of Christ rather than making it hard? 
you know, all too often, the hoops that we set in place are meant to distinguish and separate us from those people who call themselves followers. Listen, America still, and, and, and get, listen to me wholly with this. I know America was built upon Judeo-Christian principles. But the President Barack Obama said it one day, and it, and it steamed a lot of people, we are no longer a Christian nation. And it ached us, it pained us. And out of his, his, his goal to be inclusionary, to be tolerant, he was trying to say, we make way for everybody to choose whatever they want to choose. And maybe making a statement about whatever it is, he, you, you can guess what his motives are. But the fact of the matter is, are those people, would you say that over 50% of America is the dedicated followers or believers of Jesus Christ? And if we were, where and what would be happening in America today? Should we be? Can we be? How do we become? What has to take place? We need to understand that it's an invitation to fellowship. Listen, Romans chapter 2, verse 4. This is the way that God said it works. He said God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. If you look at the very first part of Romans chapter 2, he begins and talks about the challenges of people judging one another. He says, the problem is that you're judging one another and you're not doing what you need to do. Instead, he says, you need to understand it's not about you judging people, but how about you just being kind as I am kind to you and it leads to repentance. When you're kind to people, when you do unto others as you want them to do unto you, when they treat you bad, when they insult you, when they persecute you, Jesus says, guess what? You will be blessed. It's quiet in here today. I didn't expect this much quietness. I, I, I understand that something's taking place, something needs to happen that cause for us to do just this. Understand that in the following, it forces me to focus on where I am rather than on where you are not. That's what needs to happen. Where I am. Listen the more conscious I am of the work of God that He has to do in me, the less pressure I put upon other people to stand or perform or to be what I think they need to be. God forbid that we don't take the plank out of our eye when we look at other people, especially sinners. It amazes me that people are still surprised that sinners sin. That sinners are wicked, that they're vile, that they are sick. And nobody likes to hear it, but guess what? We is one. We have been one. We have lapses from time to time. And I am so thankful that when I mess up and I don't do what Jesus says, He doesn't set me out and say, you're out for good, that's it, that's the last time. But instead, He reaches out His hand to me and says, here's the deal. If you will recognize you are sick, I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. As long as I'm focused on where Jesus is leading me, I have less and less time to judge other people. When you stop, though, following Him, you start to become judgmental. At the end of the day, the question is not, how far along are you in the journey? We, we want to measure that because we talk about maturity. Maturity. We see places where he wants to grow us up. It's all part of what we're supposed to be. But that isn't the success factor. The success factor is this, and it has to happen for a lot of people because they get knocked off the horse. Something tragic happens in their life, and all of a sudden, you know, they start to doubt, and some people will look at them and say, how can you doubt after all that the Lord's done for you? And it might seem like a reasonable argument for someone to convince them to get back on the bandwagon to join back with the gang of jesus but they're just saying i'm aching i'm hurting you don't understand where i'm at right now and you may not you may be able to have some assimilation some some similarities with them but guess what are you following is the question are you still following 
Listen, I, you may not be as much of a believer as you once were. Something has happened in your life. Something has taken place to rock you off of the foundation of Jesus Christ. The enemy has come in and he's, he's dealt some death blows to you. But rather than making you feel bad about where you're not, I want to be right there alongside you and say, but won't you keep your hand to the plow? Won't you say, I'm going to stay being a follower of Him, and I believe as long as I keep following after Him, as much mess up as there is in my life, that somehow, some way, a transformation will take place, and I'll become like Him, I'll be shaped like Him, formed like Him, and guess what? The rest of the body of Christ will be being shaped and formed with me. Amen? It should be an exciting time for us as a church when we realize the potential that's before us that we can become these people who are followers of Him. Jesus says, follow me. Praise Him, I want you to come if you would please. It's so important that we realize that over 2,000 years ago, people were having the same kinds of conversations and talks and concerns that we're having right now. It aches my heart for people whom are supposed to know the Bible better. Churches, organizations that call themselves churches that have so corrupted and polluted the Word of God. It makes me nervous to want to identify and join with them and even call some of them, them churches because of how they have diluted and, and polluted it. Do you understand what I'm saying? But how about instead I take and use my influence and I look and I work on me and say, one thing is for sure, I don't care how big a church is. I don't care how many times a, a, a pastor has been a pastor at a church and how large that church is and, and what they've fallen from. The one thing I know is that I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ until the day I die. I mean, past the day I die, I'm a follower of Him. All the way. I'm not going to give up and I may make some mistakes and, and I'm praying that those people, I'm praying instead that the, the truth will permeate the hardness of the hearts because I continue to treat them with kindness as Jesus did me and it will lead them to repentance. I believe I've given you word today, church. I believe that we need to bow our heads and we need to ask ourselves, Holy Spirit, evaluate me. Will you do that with me right now? Will you bow your heads and say, Heavenly Father, I ask you to come. I ask you to show me the false perceptions of, that I've had of what it means to be a, a follower myself. The many times when I've allowed for the condemnation to come in and to to disinclude me because of my failures. And for that reason, I was tempted to just quit, to sit back down and to stay out of the game, out of the gang. But that's not what you called me to. You called me, Lord, to recognize that I'm sick, to still reach up my hands to an all-merciful God and to say, Lord, forgive me. God, hear me. I'm still on the journey. I, I, I should be further ahead than what I am, but I, I, I'm so thankful that you haven't cast me away. I'm so thankful that you haven't thrown me out. But you bid me. You bid me. You keep calling me. Oh, Lord, I know there's things I can do that will disqualify me. I know there's a place where I could get to where if I, I don't become that believer, if I don't believe, God, it's impossible for me to please. But Lord, I won't ever become a believer if I quit following. So help me, Lord Jesus, I pray. Maybe you're praying that prayer right now. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you're here in this place today and you sit... Pastor, oh, what a miserable man or woman I am. 